This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 42. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 42, brought to you by our good friends over at Gearslets.com. Yeah, here we are. Another good show for you. Mr. Greg Worth is on today. Greg works a lot with Steve Vai, works with Tony McAlpine, uh, Tracy Guns of LA Guns. I think he knows a thing or two about working with guitar players, is my hunch. And Warren Hewart, who was on a, a few episodes ago in his Produce Like a Pro series, did a, a video with Greg. And in that video, you get a glimpse of uh, Steve Vai's studio. And on this one wall, I mean, aside from the pro audio gear, the, the, the recording equipment, this one wall is just absolutely covered in guitars. I mean, it looks like almost like a uh, like the wall at a, at a guitar retailer or something. It's insane how many guitars there are. So anyways, we'll, we'll talk to Greg shortly about that. And I'm sure we'll get into uh, Steve Vai's studio as well as uh, Greg's own, Greg's own studio. Coming up, hey, I want to hip you to this very cool thing, talking about Square Cash. Now that's different, I guess, from Square, same company, but I think the, the concept is different. You know, Square, the, the company has the little credit card reader, you plug it into your smartphone, you can take credit cards from people. You've probably seen it at coffee shops and you've seen it in, you know, dealing with individuals or bands. Anyways, well, the Square Cash app is a little different. Recently in the last few days, I've started doing some uh, drum editing and cleanup work for uh, one of the working-class audio listeners, uh, Stoyan. Hello, Stoyan. Anyhow, he paid me with this. And the trick is, is it links to your debit card. And then, so when I got paid, it actually appears in your bank account instantly, which is kind of cool, kind of freaky, but kind of cool. So there's, I guess you can designate whether it's for personal use or for business use. And I think if you say it's for business use, it's like 1.9%. If you say it's for personal use, then there's then there's no fee, but I'm sure there's some limitations. So I'll leave it up to you whether or not you're going to say whether or not you're using it for personal or for business, but it's a pretty cool thing. So, you know, typically with a lot of these payment services, like whether it's uh, Square or PayPal or whatever it is, you, you have to wait. You either have to transfer the money into your account or you got to wait a day. I mean, waiting a day is no big deal, but if you are getting paid and it's going right into your account. It's kind of nice, I got to say. It's pretty cool. So uh, I'll put a link in the WCA recommends area and you can check it out for yourself. I may or may not include a code. I don't know if that violates their terms of service, but the way it works is, is if you um, if you turn somebody onto it, they get $5 and you get $5. It's kind of a, a little referral exchange kind of thing going on there. So Square Cash. Yeah, I'll put that on the on the site for you. Some other good news I want to talk about. You know, the podcast, of course, is growing by leaps and bounds. And uh, I was am astonished by the numbers, the sheer amount of people that are downloading this show. And uh, it does take up quite a bit of time. And I've been, I mean, essentially, it's become, a, you know, a major part of my life. And uh, I spend quite a bit of time each week working on it. So we really need to expand. So the trick is, is getting, for me, uh, getting sponsors on board who I have a relationship with that I like as people who make good products or provide good services. And I, you know, Jules at GearSluts has been fantastic and he's a, he's a dear friend and I think GearSluts provides a great resource to our community. So 
going about trying to figure out what are some companies, some pro audio companies that we can bring on board uh, for some support and for a reciprocal relationship where I feel that they're supporting the podcast and we don't have any problem supporting their product because we believe in their products. So I just started to write down a list of companies that I believe in. And one of those companies that uh, is going to come on board, which I'm very happy about, is Audio-Technica. And I want to talk about why why that's important that they're on board with us and uh, why I'm really excited about it. And to do that, I really kind of give you got to give you a little backstory here that involves our other sponsor, Gear Sluts, which uh, is very important as well. When I first started the uh, the podcast and the website, I had some confusion over some web uh, some web things that I was doing, and I thought, you know, Jules at Gearslets would know the answer to this because he's got a breadth of experience that covers many things, you know, outside of recording and engineering. That I thought, I'll talk to talk to Jules, and, and he'll have the answer. So I emailed him, you know, hey Jules, here's the problem, here's what I'm trying to do. Also, here is the website, here's the podcast. This is what I'm doing. This is the spirit of it. And I got an email back that said, you got to get on Skype. I need to talk to you. And I was like, uh oh wonder what's up with this. It sounded very serious. It almost had like the tone of like, you need to see me in the principal's office right now. And I was like, oh God, this sounds serious. So, you know, he's in the UK, I'm in the US, jumped on Skype and I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, what you're doing with this podcast? And I was like, yeah, am I in trouble? And he was like, no, no, what you're doing is really cool and it's really important. And I listen to a ton of podcasts and yours really sticks out as something unique. And I'm excited about it, and I want to get involved, and I want to help you. And I was like, okay, great. That was, you know, not the answer I was expecting, but it was a great response. And I'll tell you something. It felt really good because not only because Gear Sluts is an important part of our community, because it's a hub where a, a ton of us co- go for new information and ideas and to just research I- concepts and ideas and learn new things. That felt good from that perspective, but it really felt good because Jules is a friend of mine, and it was a friend who I feel gives me honest answers. He gives me that, like, no kind of BS, like, no, dude, this is this is what's up kind of thing, and it just felt really good. I mean, I see Jules year after year at various conferences and various events, and our families have hung out, our wives and our kids have hung out, and, you know, I just, I thought, wow, this guy really likes what I'm doing. And he runs one of the most important websites in in pro audio. So this must be good. Okay, great. So, you know, GearSluts has been a part of the show and they've, you know, they've promoted us endlessly and it's, it's really been a great relationship. So you can imagine that when I came to the conclusion that I needed to have a sponsor uh, for more support, because of the fact that the website, the podcast is growing, the expenses are growing, and the involvement from other people is growing, it's, it, I thought, if I'm going to keep the spirit of what we're doing uh, genuine and the way I intended it, I'm going to need some help. And I thought, oh, my God, finding a, a sponsor, another one like Jules, is going to be hard. Uh, so I made a list of companies. Audio-Technica was number one on that list. And the reason they were number one is because they make products that I really like and believe in. The first microphone I ever spent any money on, very much like your first record you buy, my first microphone that I ever bought was an AT4033. After that, I bought a pair of 4050s and uh, headphones. And so 
what I needed was a personal connection, and it just so happens I have a personal connection there, and that is Gary Boss. Gary Boss is the marketing director over at Audio Technica, and I have known Gary for a while. And where did I meet him? Naturally, tape op conference, potluck audio conference. See him year after year after year. And every year it was the same. It was like, oh, just arrived, got to go over to the Audio Technica booth and go have my, my yearly chat with Gary. Talk about a genuine person that you just get a no BS kind of vibe from that, you know, likes his job, he knows his products, and, you know, he believes in what he's doing, and it really shows to me. So so that's it. Audio Technica is, is on board. I'm really happy about it. And um, you'll be hearing about Audio Technica products. We're going to be uh, testing some stuff. And I don't know, quite possibly we might be even doing some, uh, some tests at various Bay Area studios, uh, Shark Bite and uh, Bird and Egg, I'm sure, where we can... Uh, you know, check out the new products and and bring you some sound samples and bring you stuff that uh, I want to turn you on to that I think is cool. So just like the SonarWorks stuff, uh, you know, happy to happy to have Audio Technica on board with us. So that's it. All right, well, let's get over to our uh, our interview with Mr. Greg Worth here on the Working Class Audio Podcast, and let's get on with it, Mr. Greg Worth. Hey, hey, how's it going? How are you? Oh, not bad. Not bad. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Are you, uh, I take it you're recording? Yeah, I'm in the middle of a big project <clears throat> right now. With Steve? Yeah, Steve Vai. This year marks the 25th anniversary of his uh, Passion and Warfare record. And uh, to a lot of guitar aficionados, that's like a really important album in instrumental history so we're we're doing a special package and it's it's pretty intense the responsibility must feel great because steve is you know a god to many and that record is very important to a lot of people yeah well you know i've been with steve for 10 years now so you know we're like family so Mm -hmm. it's actually a great time to work on this because we work together closely i mean it's mostly just us i mean we have some assistance here and there but it's really just both of us doing it everything you know it's it's very cool to hear this stuff because it, it it's a lot of stuff that was recorded or written between passion and warfare and flexible mm. and uh it's kind of like the missing link so you know a lot of the hardcore fans know that there's there's material that exists and uh we're unveiling it now well that's interesting um i remember I don't know, maybe it was junior high, early high school. I have a vivid memory. I had a friend who lived across the street from me. I remember him coming over with uh, with Flexible on vinyl, and he bought it. I guess at the time, if my memory serves correct, he was basically doing at the time what was an independent label release. If that's, uh, I don't know if that's if that was correct, but that's that was my memory of it that it wasn't out on a major label. Yeah, I think he did. That's when he started his Light Without Heat thing. And he did that himself. I mean, he learned a lot about the business through his work with Frank Zappa, and he kind of learned how to handle things on his own. That's really interesting. Um, I, you know, the I think the most obvious question a lot of people would want to ask you is, is, how did you find yourself hooking up with Steve? How did this relationship start? I was a 21-year-old kid. Uh, I went to a recording school. I just, um, I'm from San Diego, and... You know, I come from being in a band and things like that, and I I eventually just gravitated toward recording. I felt like mixing and engineering was kind of like my calling. That felt natural to me. Playing music was a little difficult, you know. 
I was able to be more creative in the recording side and I was really into the reggae stuff and you know they add a lot of effects and I was into that so I I found a school in LA Los Angeles recording school and I I attended I moved up to LA and I didn't know what to expect you know I in my mind the best thing after school was I was going to get an internship and then hopefully I can be an assistant engineer and that was like the greatest goal in my mind that I could capture, you know, but they, they had great job placement. I, I met some people and I ended up meeting an engineer that worked with Steve at his studio in Hollywood and, um, signed on as an assistant, you know, maybe a couple of weeks after I graduated the school. And, um, I just, I didn't really know much about <laughs> Steve. That's the funny thing, you know? And I think that's what kind of helped. I wasn't a, a fanboy. I, I wanted to learn and I wanted to, you know, I was able to fit in and kind of do things that were needed rather than, you know, sit there and gawk at the guy. So know. in some ways, I mean, he was just this guy who happened to play guitar really well. Yeah. I mean, I knew of him and stuff yeah. like that, but he wasn't, he definitely wasn't somebody I grew up listening to. You know, I, yeah. I appreciate him to the fullest now because I've heard his whole catalog and I just, I definitely understand his work now. But to me, it was just, I, I wanted to engineer. I wanted to learn and uh, I, you know, I'm still learning now. I think we all are. But yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And he gave me small jobs, started transferring tapes. You know, I, I, that's how I learned flexible. I was transferring his multi-tracks and stuff like that to Pro Tools. And funny enough, this project that was that we're doing now, I transferred the, the tapes for this years ago to Pro Tools. I didn't know that we were going to do a 25th anniversary project, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. How did... In, so in retrospect, how did you do back then? Did you do a good transfer? Yeah. You know, we, we had 192s and stuff and did it at 196 or 96K, but it was good. Um, obviously, there's much better converters now, but the problem is a lot of those tapes had to be baked. So we're, we're sort of figuring out if we're going to try and retransfer them, knowing, mm -hmm. that, knowing that the tapes just might be ruined at that point. I mean, they sound great. I mean, you know, pulling up this stuff, it's it's actually really cool because Steve's overdubbing um, finishing these songs because a lot of them were unfinished, you know. He kind of, when he figured out his path of what Passion and Warfare was going to be, he kind of shelved a lot of these songs because they didn't fit the mold for what he had in mind. So, you know, there's no guitar solos that were on there. There's a lot of just drum and bass and some rhythm tracks. Interesting. It, this is a kind of a fascinating aspect for me to observe like you as an engineer, you're you're basically you're paired up with an icon in our in the, in the music industry doing this work. I'm and so my obvious questions and you know if anything is off limits, you could just say I I can't answer that. But how does it work financially? I mean, are you on salary? Does he pay you hourly? Does he pay you a day rate? What? How does that even work? You know, now that I have a a daughter, you know, we've worked something out because he knows that I have a family, so. You know, but um, I'm still independent. So, you know, I have my own studio and I have my own ventures that I do. So I, I can be comfortable with him, but I also supplement myself other ways. Okay. Makes sense. Also a lot of it because I like I like to record other styles of music, you know, as much as I mm. love his stuff. I, I like things with vocals and, you know, different styles. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, he would rather you be a well-rounded person musically and recording wise than just being all about recording uh, instrumental guitar driven music. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. that's what, you know, I kind of bring to the table is I, you know, I love gear. That's my thing. You know, it's like, I'm not, 
I like guitar stuff, but it's like I like to show him, check out this new software plugin or this hardware compressor or, you know, we're always trying to uh, just get more gear and find what's the best out there. It's kind of a cool match. I would assume you do most of the work at his studio, right? Yeah. He has a studio called the Harmony Hut, which we've built maybe 2012. So we've had for a couple of years now. Yeah, we do all the work here for his projects. Is that in his house? Yeah, he has a, a... pretty large property and so it's it's a it's built in the backyard so the commute between your place and steve's place is it is it a long commute no i live in studio city so it's about 10 15 minutes it's not too bad it's not bad at all yeah for somebody who lives in southern california yeah well the thing is it's like i i avoid the 405 and you just learn because i you know i've lived in la for quite a while now so you learn what roads not to take and things like that so I, you know, I think the Valley is kind of a cool place to be. Maybe other people think I'm wrong, but I just think as far as traffic and just getting places, you don't have to deal with a lot of the the traffic that people going down to Santa Monica or Beverly Hills deal with all the time. You're, you're in a very enviable position with working with somebody like Steve, and we will make the entire interview about you and Steve, but what's one of your favorite things about working with somebody of his experience and what you've learned from him from a recording perspective that maybe you didn't think of before? That's a good question. I'm, I'm in a good spot. You know, I, I'm definitely lucky to have what I, the position I have because uh, it, it could have happened to anybody. But he's one of the guys that has a home studio. So he learned years ago that it's like, you know, it's better to invest your money into equipment that you're going to keep rather than invest it in time in a studio where people are looking at the clock all the time. So I learned to really, he, you know, he taught me, it's like, it's always, it projects are done when they're done. You know, it's good to set deadlines and things like that, but you really, you want to do your best. And if you could do better and it takes two weeks longer than that, it's going to take two weeks longer. And that's what I learned from him, you know, is to really just, you know, perf- perfect things like to, to a certain standard. And I, and I, and I appreciate that, you know, and yeah, I've learned a lot of different stuff and there's not, there's not one way to do something, you know, that's one big thing. You know, if something's broken, we figure out a workaround and figure out how to get what we want. Never settling. How does that affect the work you do outside of, 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 of Steve's studio and the work you do with other, other bands and musicians, artists, et cetera? I I guess it carry, it carries over, you know, every project is different. But yeah, I find a lot of times it's like I'm I'm being a little more picky. You know, like if I send something over to an artist, they might not catch things. And I'm like, well, what do you, I have to tell them, like, what do you think of this? Because I think we actually need to fix this. So, but that's why a lot of people like to work with me as well is because they, they want that. You know, they want somebody who's going to pay attention to things that they necessarily won't catch. Mm-hmm. You're a man of detail and there's different I guess, different schools of, of thought and approaches of paying attention to details. Some people, I'm sure, like take, for example, I, this is fresh in my mind because I just watched the Keith Richards documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I bet it would be a stark contrast difference between working with Keith versus working with Steve. And maybe, and those differences might come in the level of uh, detail work uh, because different people, I feel, have a different sensibility of of how important detail is or is not. Mm-hmm. And do you, would you agree with that or, or do you yeah. encounter that? Yeah. I mean, the thing about Steve is he's always been kind of self-contained, you know, he's not, he's the type of guy he, 
and that's something that he's instilled in me, which is fantastic is that, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to rely on somebody else to do something. He wants to feel like he's in control and can, can move forward without somebody else dragging their feet or whatever. So he knows how to record. I mean, he's an engineer. I mean, he mixed passion and warfare and you know, it's a fantastic sounding record. So he, he understands that. So I think for him, it's easier for him to kind of articulate what he might want. And, you know, working with me who I, you know, maybe there's some things that he doesn't understand as much, but you know, we can communicate better. I mean, there's other, you know, musicians you work with, they don't want to, they don't care to know engineering and pro tools and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different, you know? So with him, yeah, there's a lot of attention to detail because he does understand most of the aspects. Yeah. I wonder if that's uh, the common denominator, you know, the, the musicians that do have a grasp of a DAW and, you know, whatever that DAW is, um, they're more willing to get their hands dirty and get in there and, and chop and fix and make it, make it to their liking. Whereas maybe somebody like Keith Richards, who stays out of that, I, I, I presume, um, focuses more of their attention on the playing aspect. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think mo- mostly, you know, in the end, the projects get done and they're all great. But I think uh, sometimes, you know, with Steve, the projects take longer mm-hmm. and that's OK, you know. But, you know, in, in Keith Richards' situation, I did watch a little bit of that documentary, which I think is really cool. Um, I did notice that where, you know, he just kind of walks in. He's like, yeah, record me. He's not like so hands on, you know. And sometimes that's cool because you can kind of move forward. But, you know, when somebody like Steve, ha- he has a vision and he doesn't always know how to express it. Sometimes he just has to do it. You know what I mean? He has to experience it himself and figure it out as he goes. So... We have, we work out a workflow where, you know, we'll mic stuff and we set up a bunch of stuff and sometimes he'll work into the night while I'm home, you know, cause he can press record, but he needs help. You know, we, we get the sounds together, things like that. That's how he did passion and warfare. I mean, he does these intricate punches and he, he, he shapes parts, you know, and he, he, he writes them as he goes. You have a separate studio independent of Steve. Well, the story is, yeah. I mean, I have my own studio. The idea was that, you know, I wanted to build this this studio. In my mind, I wanted to make it hybrid. That That's like the way of how things are today, you know, mm-hmm. and very modular, the 500 series, but even further, you know, um, dedicated monitor section, summing mixer. So I'm not tied to like a large format console. And, you know, I just had this vision. I wanted a desk, like a mastering style desk. I didn't want to have a pro tools rig off to the side. I was tired. I'm tired of, I don't like sitting and listening from my left ear and then turning. It's just stupid, you know? And that, Mm -hmm. that's why I'm younger. So I grew up in that age. Like that's how everybody recorded, you know, but the music I love, everybody used to sit and not worry about a computer and they would listen to the speakers in both ears. And so I wanted to do that. You know, when I was coming up with the ideas of this custom desk, that, that little Raven came out or it was announced, you know? And so I had it in my mind, you know, I wanted a little, um, you know, I wanted people to be interested in my studio because I, it is, you know, semi-commercial people can book it. I want to have people excited to come there. And I thought that would be cool. You know, what if I get this touch screen mounted in the center and it was cool. Cause you could touch faders, you know, you wouldn't feel like you were too disconnected from a real console. Um, and I contacted Steven and he, he was gracious enough to give me the CAD drawing so I could give to my guy 
to actually design the console around this, the Slate Raven. Is your studio at your house? No, it's in a house. It's actually, uh, Encino is an interesting area. The area where Steve lives used to be owned by one person. And, you know, over the years it got divided off and the property sold and things like that. But um, our good neighbor has a quite large property and it actually connects through the back gate of Steve's. And we're friends and, you know, they have a spare house and they, they had a studio in there, but they, they had contacted me that they wanted to do something a little better, something more official. And so it kind of fell into the same time that I was looking to move my gear and kind of build this hybrid studio. So it kind of happened that way. Um, so it's in a house and it just, you know, I, I'm the main person that works in there. I mean, other people can go in there, but I mean, it's based around my workflow. I designed the room and the console and everything. You can actually walk from your studio to Steve's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through the backyard, there's a little gate and there's like a barn. They have like horses and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. That's really convenient. It, it's crazy. Like if you if you came, you wouldn't you would feel like you're on a deserted island or something. You wouldn't feel like you're in L.A. Huh? It, it's pretty it's pretty bizarre, but it's it's cool. And is so do you, do you just rent or or you have some kind? Yeah, of- Yeah, we have something worked out. Um, yeah, so it's, um, yeah. It's a very comfortable situation, obviously. Yeah. I'm very appreciative of it. And, um, we have a, we actually have an 1889 Steinway B, which Hmm. they own that's in there, which is really cool. I don't know if you saw Warren actually, when we did a video, I, I saw that you said you saw the video that Warren did over at Mm -hmm. Steve Vai's studio with me. We actually, the same day, we just walked that same path over and did a video at my studio. What's what's your approach? Uh, Work life balance, family. You have a kid. I'm sure that's in, that that balance is important to you. How do you how do you make that work? Good question. It's hard right now. We're trying to find a a new location to move because we want to we want our daughter to go into a a better elementary school than the district that we're in. So that's kind of our battle. She's four, and I I would hate to move, but that's the biggest dilemma right now. I mean making it work. I, I, I was able to actually limit my hours, which is cool with Steve. I work it out to where I, you know, I do a good chunk, you know, it's not, it's not like 16 hour days and I never see my daughter cause he has two sons and he understands, you know, hmm. he knows that you, know, you got to spend time with your family. So I'm lucky in that way. And I think that that's really cool to, to be in a home studio situation rather than working for uh, you know, a commercial studio or something like that, where you got to accommodate clients that, you know, want to work until 4am or whatever. Yeah. That, that empathy of, uh, of another parent is, is critical. And, and I, and I know that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't have kids and that's not something they quite understand maybe, or, or they're not familiar with. So, you know, I don't mean, I don't ever mean to demean or isolate them, but it is interesting when you have, uh, when you're working in the recording world, which is traditionally kind of a, a late night kind of operation with other parents Mm -hmm. and everybody's kind of like, "Uh, you know, I got to get up early. So can we like, you know, carry this on tomorrow? Yeah. My, my wife is very supportive. I mean, she works in film and so she understands that side of things. And, and um, you know, part of what I was saying too, is I supplement myself other ways, you know, we're, we're working together. We're actually, I'm starting a, I'm going to start a video channel that hopefully can help us supplement things, but it's basically going to be based in my studio and, and she's working with me, you know, cause she's a director and she understands video 
which I don't. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that's how we work. You know, we work together and we can have fun with it. And hopefully it'll be something people will like. I mean, I do a lot of this. People call it gear porn that I post online and people actually really like it. And uh, so I'm just going to kind of extend that to videos because I, I do a lot of consulting and people are always, I'm sure with you and Warren as well, every, people ask questions and they want to learn. And, you know, I, I come from that, you know, I come from like, I'm lucky to be where I'm at and I understand these people with all these questions and it's simple for me to help. You know, I mean, it, it's not, yeah. it doesn't take away from me and Warren and I both agree. It's like, we're both, you know, that's why we get along so well is we're both learning constantly, you know? And if I, I feel like if I give a, a trick away, it's not going to take away from me because I'm not giving my ears to that person. You know what I mean? So everybody's going to do their own thing with it. So I think it's cool to just kind of help create a community. And that's been happening, you know, more and I, more. I totally agree. Uh, as a matter of fact, case in point, um, Ryan Hewitt had put up a post uh, that he did a, uh, a drum session with uh, Josh Freese on lynda.com. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I'd never been over there, but I was like, you know what? I mean, I know how to record drums, but I want to see what Ryan does. And, you know, I like Josh Freese. He's a great player. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to go check it out. And I sent Ryan a message. I said, I'm, I'm jumping on lynda.com right now to check your video out. And he was like, you know, LOL, hope you get something out of it. I was like, yeah. I love watching how other people work. No, and Ryan's a great person. You know, I know him as well. And he's one one of the guys that's so generous. It's like I reached out to him a few years ago and asked him some questions, you know, think about some Tone Lux stuff. And he's just so generous, you know. And you have a you have a bunch of people on your on your uh, podcast, like Joe Barisi. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the industry. And Warren, I mean, these guys are just so generous and it's it's awesome to be in touch with these people because you know coming up i felt like it was harder to learn you know people didn't want like a few years ago people didn't want to give you any advice or help you out and it seems like now it's like somehow people realize that it's okay to do that it's not going to take away from anything from them so yeah it's it is refreshing in that respect and i don't know if that's a generational thing or or not um also, I think that maybe it, it could be a generational thing because I think a lot of us, you know, in our age group, uh, really grasp new media, YouTube, podcasting, et cetera, et cetera. And we see how that can benefit uh, people's learning. And, uh, and also, you know, let's face it, it, it serves two purposes. It definitely gives, I mean, your profile gets raised, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really know uh, Warren at all. And then got turned on to his channel and was like, Oh, he should be on my show. And then once I talked to him and then started watching those produce like a pro videos, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to this guy more often. And, uh, and, and like I say, it's just like me watching Ryan's video to, um, to sit and watch or listen to a conversation, uh, or observe a session doesn't matter how much experience you have. There's always some little nugget that I always walk away with and I go, ah, yeah. Ooh, I like that idea. I'm going to try that. Mm -hmm. And it could be the most subtle thing. It doesn't have to be an overt thing. I mean, the, it's just a variation on the theme. So 
in your situation working from home studios more often, do you feel like you're getting interaction with other engineers enough? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I have, I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in the industry and stuff. So, you know, I, and I've done sessions in big studios, but yeah, I do. I mean, I do a lot of research and I, I do a lot of trial and error on my own, you know, like I'm always criticizing my stuff. Why didn't this turn out this way? And I do a lot of research listening to music. I mean, I listen to Joe Barisi's mixes and I just feel like I, I need to quit what I'm doing. <laughs> but <sighs> I, he helps me to strive. Like that Queens of the Stone Age record, when I heard it, I was like, wow, records can sound amazing still. It's uh, like clockwork. Right, right, right. I mean, I put that on and I just couldn't believe how amazing that record sounded. And I was like, you know, people can still do it. He's proving that it it's, can still be done especially with the major release, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have to be a self-funded type of thing, but. Um, I don't know if you feel this, but do you ever feel like with, with engineering, you kind of, over time you, you, you'll do a record in, in the course of doing that record, you feel like you've hit a plateau, like, Ooh, I learned something new on this record. I, I like I did, I, I did this record with this guy uh, many years ago. And after I got through with it, I felt like, wow, I feel like I've crossed over a new threshold of, of understanding of how to really put together a record. Yeah. So I don't know if you, if you experience the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I constantly am trying to find better ways to do something more efficient or, um, you know, if it's software based, something more transparent, that's not going to take away from the, the audio quality, but yeah, I'm constantly striving, you know, and I'll second guess myself with stuff. And I finally, you know, I'm I'm at a level where I'm confident in my abilities. But, you know, def, definitely I, I'm always trying to raise the bar. I mean, and mm-hmm. that's what's exciting about it. And it was it, it, it's actually great to hear other people like Warren and pe- people like that that admit that as well, that they're always learning. You know, because yeah. I, it, I never hear people do. I I would always say that, and I was never afraid to admit that I'm always learning. But I feel like people weren't saying that very much, you know. And it, it's starting to happen more and more where people are like, "Yeah, we're I'm always learning," and that, and even if you just say that consciously, it just puts you in a better space to do better, you know, because you don't ever want, you know, it, if you know everything and you're just the best you can be, it's like then once you just find a new thing to do. Because it wouldn't be fun, you know. I get excited to do something different, learn something new, and yeah. And I also think that people just—if somebody were to say, "Oh, you know, I'm the best at what I do," or you know, I, I'm sure if you talk to—I uh, don't know—I'm trying to think of somebody outside of our industry. Like, okay, let's Jonathan. I don't know how you say his last name, Ive or Ivy. Jonathan Ivy over at Apple, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the guy is you know a uh, fairly forward-thinking designer. Um, I bet if you ask him, I bet he says the same thing. I bet he says, I'm still learning. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine somebody like that saying I'm the best at what I do and there's nobody better. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, I think there's nobody that like truly thinks that, but I think there are people that just won't admit that they're not as best as they can be or that they're still learning. But yeah, I mean, someone like Johnny, I mean, those kinds of people are waiting for technology to just technologies to just exist so they can do something that they've had in mind for five or 10 years, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that showing that vulnerability in our world, do you think that that has the potential to 
worry people when we say that. Worry our clients if, you know, we say, well, you know what? <laughs> I don't know everything, but if I don't know the answer, I can get it to you and, and or I can figure out what we need to do to make things work. Do you think that freaks people out? I don't think so. I mean, if you're a person that has some sort of credibility already, they know your work. I mean, if you're someone just coming out, yeah. I mean, if it, I can imagine if someone didn't know who I was and I was saying things like that, they would probably second guess it why they hired me. But, you know, if it's somebody that's done work and, you know, you, you know that they, they know what they're doing, I mean, they're not going to take it the wrong way. Hey, I want to take a little break from our conversation with uh, Greg Worth, which I hope you're enjoying as much as I am. And I want to talk a little bit about our new sponsor, Audio-Technica. You know, I knew the company had been around for a long time, but what I didn't realize is that they've been around for over 50 years. They're at their core, they're a transducer company because, you know, I don't know if you all knew it, but they started out with phono cartridges and headphones and then microphones, obviously. Microphones are transducers, so that became, you know, a natural thing for them to do. So something else you may not know and that I've I've not mentioned here for a while because I've been testing it out and getting my own sense of uh, what I like about it in my head. And that is, I've been talking on the BP, their new mic, the BP40. That's what this mic is right here that I'm talking on. I've been talking on that for the last, I don't know how many shows, five, six shows, I think. I can't remember. Anyways, I, I love this mic. I think it's, I think it's good on my voice. Gary's, you know, told me time and time again, you got to try it on the kick drum too. It's amazing, which I haven't done yet, but I will. So that's that. Audio-Technica, man. Yeah. Super excited to have them on board. Um, oh, you know what? They have a um, – I got my notes here. I, got, I can't forget this. They've got, uh, they've got a promotion going, and I'm going to put a link on the website. So don't forget about this. Um, I think – yeah. If you buy one of six – I think it's one of six of the 40 series microphones, they'll give you a pair of the, uh, the M50 headphones. So I'll put a link on there, and if you do buy one of the mics, make sure you fill out the link or fill out the form and send it in and uh, get your free pair of headphones. We use the 50 series at SharkBite all the time. Uh, the 40 series I'm using right now, I'm a big fan of their headphones personally, So, but I'm a big fan of all their products. They make great stuff, very working class, as I've said. I'm really happy to have their support, so show them some love and uh, yeah. Thanks, Audio Technica. Welcome. And um, let's get back to our interview here with Greg Worth here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. You guys in LA, man, or, or in Southern California feel are at a great advantage because you you are just inundated with a lot of famous people that a little bit of work with a couple of famous people can really lend credibility to your name. Um, I've worked with some famous people in situations outside of the recording studio, but in like, I always bring this up and I'm in longtime listeners will go, Oh, he's talking about that crap again. But like I, I, I did a year at uh, K fog radio here and recorded in front of audiences and mixed on the fly in a antiquated pro tools rig and created mixes that went on the air or, you know, a lot of famous people, a lot of famous bands, but I was, and I brought this up with other people before um, where you do, I would call it, let's call it auxiliary work with an artist that doesn't necessarily go on record, but it is used whether it's in a live situation or, or a DVD or, but not the official record. Mm -hmm. And 
I've also told this story before where I actually had a band contact me and say, hey, we're listening to your mix of this famous band and we want to work with you. And I, I was like, uh, I didn't mix that. Some, that is the work of this other person. And uh, I've only worked with them in this other capacity. I, I, can't, I can't claim credit for that. And they were like, you know, this is all taking place over email. And they were like, oh my gosh, thank you for clarifying. That's, that's very honest of you. And thanks for not trying to pull the, the wool over our eyes. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's an interesting position. Um, but I think when, if you were to walk into a room and somebody introduces you, well, this is Greg Worth. He, you know, he works with Steve I. It's like, well, instant credibility. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely a key in the business. I mean, it's like, you got to have something that, that people can grab onto and, and kind of, you know, find some sort of uniqueness in you. Or even an anchor of, of, um, something they understand. It's like, oh, okay. They may not know Steve's music, but they know who Steve I is. Most people in the music business do. What kind of other artists do you work with? Are they independent? Are they majors? Uh, I, I work with a lot of independent, you know, like a lot of up and coming kind of bands and stuff. I mean, I, 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 I'm friends with Tracy guns, so I've, I've done some projects with him and he actually lives a couple houses away from the Hollywood house that Steve owns. You know, we've done some projects there and, you know, I've done a couple things here and there for, uh, like with Tony McAlpine, you know, things like that. But a lot of them are independent. Like there's actually this really cool band in LA right now that, uh, they're called boom, boom, boom. And they're just this amazing style. You can't even, you can't even place a genre. I mean, they, they're, they're their own thing. I mean, um, I mixed their last record and, you know, when they gave it back to me, I don't really listen to stuff after you finish it, you're kind of done, you know, you listen to it maybe a couple years later, or if somebody asks, you play it for them. But when they sent me the CD, I was like, wow, this, this thing's pretty amazing. And I mean, you should, definitely check them out. I mean, I, I'm, it, it's actually, uh, I'm excited that I even worked with them because they're kind of like this band where they'll play at night. Like they'll post these things randomly on Facebook, like, Oh, tonight at, at seven o'clock tonight at 11, we're going to play at the piano bar in Hollywood. And, it, and it's like, it's just this phantom band where it's like, you know, they just have this cool live scene going on where, you know, people in the know definitely know them. And what's unique about them is, you know, the, the rhythm section, it's, upright bass uh they have a cajon player that plays drums a percussion player with like a snare and some cymbals so it's very organic and it's just it's a blend it's like a fusion of hip-hop jazz funk r&b blues it's just it's really cool many people i'm finding you know operate off of uh word of mouth how do you operate how do people find you how do you get work that's a good question i don't know (laughs) i mean it's weird uh years ago people would seek me out because they would you know they would look at the credits and steve Vai, and uh they knew that i worked with him you know and i didn't have this huge online presence i think I'd, even at the time i was like barely on facebook i i i had a, a myspace that i barely was on and then somebody was telling me oh you got to go on this new thing facebook so you know i started getting a core following and a lot of it is a word of mouth i mean i do do a lot of stuff because people know the work I do that way. But I mean, now it's a lot of social media. People just love seeing all these gear pictures and it's just kind of exploding. And, you know, I'll get people, I I consult people for studio, building studios or purchasing gear and things like that. 
I get ref- actually a lot of referrals from companies. You know, I, I like to be friends with the manufacturer companies of gear that I like because, you know, I just, I like, you know, it, it's nice to, you know, if you have a problem or if you just have a question, it's nice to just call the guy who builds the stuff or whatever. But, you know, a lot of times those guys will refer me. I mean, I met Warren through Mark Lofman at BAE. Oh, yeah. Because I had done a, a BAE video at Steve's promoting uh the last dvd that steve did stillness in motion and we used a lot of bae gear and mark wanted me to kind of talk about the use and things like that and then um warren is doing mark's record and i guess they just got to talking about me or whatever and that's how i kind of got to know warren so yeah it's it's a funny business i mean we're word does get around you know are you are you good at, at at your own promotion i like to think so i i'm always learning You know, that's why I'm, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about doing a video channel for a while. And I think now it just makes the most sense. People, you know, people like to interact. And I think that's a good way to just expand on what I'm already doing. And um, it'll help me self-promote. And I feel like I'm giving back, especially, you know, with gear companies, you know, doing gear giveaways or just talking about something new. I just think that that's really cool. Because, I mean, people can make an awesome studio in their bedroom and, it hurts my heart to see somebody spend a lot of money on a piece of gear. That's not great. You know? Yeah. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you seem to work in kind of a hybrid fashion and I'm thinking out loud here a bit, but you know, like I have a very in the box workflow now, uh, compared to how I used to, although I, I, I did start to do in the box stuff many years ago and then kind of gravitated out of it. Now I'm back into it. Um, I'm curious how that, influences like if somebody wants to work in the box do you are you opposed to it or no um it's interesting uh that that's kind of why i designed my studio the way i did is because i can still technically work in the box but still have analog summing Mm -hmm. because i feel like at least if if i'm using all plugins at least if i'm summing out and then i'm you know i use burl converters and things like that and I can maybe insert a stereo bus EQ or something. I feel I feel like that that still gives me a little analog flavor that I would be missing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I I am I am kind of off put by people that want to dictate maybe what I might be using for mixing. I mean, I think that's kind of weird. There are people like that who want to kind of like, why are you using that on the kick? It would be cool if you used this. You know, my favorite thing is like, well, then you should, you should be doing the project, you know, let's, let's talk about that a bit. Um, you know, I, I, I'll try to change the names to protect the innocent and all that. But, you know, as, as we get on this, uh, got in our call together, I had just, you know, met with a client. We were trying to resolve kind of a, a potential situation where I was, uh, six songs into, uh, mixing a record and everything was fine. Everybody was digging stuff. And then just the conversation about drum samples came up and one of the members kind of let the cat out of the bag and was like well yeah he's using drum samples on the mixes and the drummer flipped the drummer was like whoa really then they you know they said well can you give us give us some mixes without we want to hear all the mixes now without any drum samples and i was like well you're basically as i in my, from my perspective, I don't know how you feel about this, Greg, but I just said, look, guys, you know, you've asked me to build you a house with a slab uh, uh, foundation, and now you're asking me to give you that s- swap out the foundations. And, you know, I kind of build things around the drum sounds. So 
I'm going to need some more time and it's going to cost a little more money. Yeah. Uh, it's not an instantaneous quick fix or change out. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm very, I, I, I try to be as open as I can, but sometimes I, I really get a little overly sensitive. I think about, I respect, you know, people's sensibilities as far as tones and such. But as you said, it's like, well, I, I really don't want to be dictated about the tools. It's like, I'd like to be told to build the house and here's the blueprints, use the tools you need to do it. And that's my perspective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, there's a fine line. I mean, you know, dealing with clients, it is their project and, you know, it's their ego and all that stuff that, you know, and they're paying you. So you definitely want to make them happy. And, you know, every every client differs in in that. But um, yeah, I mean, in the end, it's like it, it was almost like they were offended just because they heard that you did or the drummer heard that you did samples. It was like, it sounded okay before. And it, that, in my perspective, it's like, does it sound natural? Does it sound like what you want? Then what's the problem? You know, um, I, I used to be so against drum samples. I used to have this, you know, vision in my head. Like I, I listen to records that exist before samples were even a thing and they, they got it to sound good. I, I'm all about taking the time and doing it, but you know what? Yeah. Of course, you want to capture the best sound you can. But a lot of times, once you get into a mix, you know, the, the tracks got overdubbed so densely, you, you, you didn't even know that it was going to, you know, a lot of times you weren't able to comprehend that when you're tracking it. So you weren't able to, to do that. You know, you weren't able to have that end vision. So, yeah, sometimes you have to put samples. Sorry. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, I did send him an email and I, and I, you know, try to give everybody a voice, but I just said, look, man, it, this wasn't a problem until it was brought up. So it seems like you're acting on information rather than what you're hearing. And that's troubling. So, um, in the end, the drummer was like, well, I don't want to put any more money into it. And he just kind of relented. Yeah. And so the guitar player and I just to smooth things out, we, we try to massage things a bit and, and change, uh, br bring a little more of the, the original drums back in. But it is interesting what you say at the time of recording, all that other, all those other layers don't exist. So if we were to go back to the original session that day with just the core instruments, we probably could get away with it very easily. But mm -hmm. once you layer many vocals and pedal steel and extra acoustic guitars, it's like the the whole production becomes pretty lush, and the drums are having a hard time keeping up with that lushness. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, if 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 you don't even record all the overdubs say that you do the basic tracks and like the the artists go and like i have my own studio i want to lay my guitars down on my own and you know that's where it starts getting dangerous because then you then you look and your track counts over 100 and you got synths everywhere and everything's panned hard left and right and there's just no real estate you know so it, it's tricky i mean i i love projects that i can produce and and have a little bit of pre-production and actually come up with an idea mm -hmm. so because i i like to i don't like a lot of overdub i don't like to double and triple things you know i like to have the vision and try and make it happen because i i do strive to kind of i want to work towards the mix i don't want to like do all this work and then have to figure out this mess that i need to then mix you know what i mean and that's the problem is we don't always have the luxury of of doing that unfortunately yeah um it, and it it actually it makes me think of a topic uh, that I want to talk about with you in that you know we're always learning we we talk about when we learn where I think many of us 
are referring to the craft of recording, how to get better at recording, how to get better at mixing or mastering or whatever it is our specialty is or that we enjoy doing. But the one element that I, I still feel like I'm, I put a lot of effort into learning is client management and really communication, expectations, aside from any money discussions or tonality discussions, but just like, you know, really dealing with people and being as respectful as possible, but still trying to bring your expertise to the table without being obnoxious and being like, you know, I certainly don't want to, don't come to the table being the know-it-all. Yeah. So I don't know. How is that for you? It's different. Yeah, that's that's the battle. And I mean, I, I like to think that I'm doing okay at that, you know, but that's something that everyone always has to work on. Obviously, when you have a bad experience, that's a perfect opportunity to learn <laughs> what not to do. But uh, yeah, I mean, I always like to try and get a, a really good idea of the scope of the project and, and, ha and, and kind of educate the client, like, you know, gently get an idea of how much they understand of what entails in the process of making a record. Cause sometimes people don't understand that actually you have to edit things before you mix them or, you know I mean? They don't understand that. And sometimes that's a job in itself. So I try and educate them and, and get them to understand the workflow and kind of the different things and to get a time timelines. Cause a lot of times they don't know what budget they have or they're trying to, to work their budget around that, you know? So yeah, it, it's, it's tricky. You know, some people just, they get it and other people don't. And, and some people think that they, they tell you they get it and then down the line, they're questioning you. So I, I, I think that no matter what you do, as long as you're, you, you, your heart is in the project, you're taking on a project that you believe in, I think it'll work out and people will eventually trust you and, you know, appreciate your, your work on it. You know, they, they, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll understand that it's in good hands. And I mean, that's what I take pride in. I want people to, to understand that I care about this. You know, I don't want to just quickly turn something out because I'm trying to get paid, you know, and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was willing to dump all the samples and start again and, and rebuild using nothing but the original drum sounds. I knew in my heart, I was like, as I track this thing, I try to ask the drummer to do certain things with his drums. And he was quite conservative about it and was like, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with this. I like this. This is, you know, my thing. So I think my weakness there is I didn't say, I didn't communicate to him what I was thinking, which was as I was tracking and I was like, well, when I mix, I'll probably use a little of this sample, maybe of this on the snare and this on the kick, just to kind of give me a little extra, you know, to fill it out a bit we've resolved it and everything's cool yeah. and I'm really happy with the way the record's sounding. So, and the, and the majority of the members of the band minus the drummer are pretty much a hundred percent happy. Yeah. So, <laughs> cause you had, you had the best interest, but okay. So, you know, you have a, you have a child and like, so the, the thing is time is a factor. It's like, you, you know, sometimes if you're younger and single and you don't have a lot of, people relying on you or responsibilities, you can, you can just say, Oh, you know what? I'll just do it. But you just muting out the samples obviously isn't going to give them something that they would want to hear. You know what I mean? There's, there's quite a bit of work. Everything was built around that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the, <laughs> I get that. I mean, the way that I mix, I, I have 
my print converters in place. I'm monitoring things from the get go. And if I don't, and I add something, it's just, it, it, it throws everything off. So you can't just make a, a, a quick adjustment and think that it's going to be, you know, this is what it sounds like with samples. And this is what it sounds like without, no, you're not going to like the one without, because you're not going to hear the drums as loudly, probably, you know what I mean? Or as fat or, you know, as much attack or whatever. And I was, you know, it, at first when it, when things kind of got a little wacky, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into, let's talk about Matt's problems. <laughs> no, I like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> this talk about giving and sharing information. Um, I was, I, I had this conversation with uh, the guitar player who I get along with really great. And it was clear that we had some issues. Uh, that we had to address. And I was really torn up about it. And I said, you know what, let me, it was like a Friday. And I said, let's talk on Monday because I need to get my head to wrapped around this. And I, I need to figure out what, how to, how we should proceed. And, and he said, absolutely take the weekend, let's figure it out. And I was torn up about it. So I actually got in touch with Andrew Sheps and um, Andrew kindly uh, met me on Skype Cause he's, he was, he's over in England doing some stuff and he said, what's up? And I just said, Oh dude, here's what's going on. And I'm not really sure, you know, what objectively, what do you think of, of my situation? And, and, and he really just enlightened me about like the bigger picture of, he's like, you, you can't just swap that out. You know, that's not going to work. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. And he says, and it's going to take you some time. So you, you, you can't feel bad about, you know, being compensated, you know, you're not trying to gouge them. You're just trying yeah. to get stuff, you know, do the best you can for them. And it's, it takes time to do that. So I, I have to really give Andrew credit. He really was very sweet to, to, to meet, meet with me on Skype and, and solve the problem and give me a, a, a position of, you know, communicating in the right way without upsetting everybody. Yeah. So sometimes I think it's, well, in many cases, in many cases, I think we we producers, engineers, mixers, whatever we're doing, I think it's I think it's good to have these conversations with one another so we can go, hey, I got this issue. What do you think? Yep. And yep. you know, Andrew wasn't emotionally invested in it, so he could he could step back and go, okay, look, here's here's where you're at. Check it out. No, I I think that's great, and I think that's kind of that ties in about you know sharing knowledge and just being generous and friendly. Um, you know, we have this group of guys that we've been collecting, you know, Warren and I, and, you know, some other people, uh, who are in the business and they also have children and we've been trying to hang out and, you know, cause you can relate. I mean, everybody gets the challenges and, you know, we did mention, you know, it would be, it's a bummer that you're not in town I know. cause you know, we're trying to, you know, get more people cause it, it, it's cool. Cause you know, if you don't have kids, it's like, you just don't understand a lot of those challenges and it's cool to bounce things off, especially like, you know, the advice that you got was amazing. I mean, and, and it was interesting too, because see, Andrew's got older kids and he's, he's been in this position of having younger kids and being, you know, a, a guy in the industry. So it meant a lot. It was good to talk to him, but Nick, you know what, when, I, when I come to LA at some point here in the future, I, I, I feel like, I already have like a group of you that I, I have to like hang out with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, we're trying to grow it. So if anybody listening's in LA and you have kids and you're an engineer or producer, whatever, hit us up. 
Yeah. And, and apologies to those listeners who don't have kids. We don't, we're not trying to, you know, segment you out, but it's, you know, this is something we have, me and Greg have in common and me and Warren and Greg have in common. So, um, yeah, it is a challenge and it's, but it's interesting too, because, you know, a lot of guys and gals in who are engineers, who are, you know, thinking about having kids, it's, you have to kind of reconfigure your, your thought process about, well, what's my workflow when am I, with my recording life going to be like? How can I make that work and still keep a peaceful family? Yeah. And that's important to, to consider those things. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge because, I mean, it, it's hard to explain to a client like, well, I can't do Sunday because I'm taking my daughter to a recital. Like you feel like kind of not embarrassed to say that, but it's like, you know, you all you also feel like well why why do they care about my situation you know when their project is their priority so it's nice to work with people who understand that and i work with a lot of people who have kids so it's it's really great yeah and i didn't i didn't realize that steve had kids so that um i can only imagine how that works in your favor yeah i mean his kids are his kids are in their 20s now but yeah it works in my favor definitely i mean Steve's actually a bit of a father figure as well, you know, because he's he's the age of my dad. Because I'm I'm 31, so I'm not. Oh wow, you're you're <laughs> you're to, you're totally young, man. You're you, not only do you have a uh, some good credible uh, some good credits to your name, but you're young. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, it, there's a certain point where it's like you know sometimes you're embarrassed to say that you're young, but I I'm confident enough. You know, I feel like I you know I I don't care. Hey, I, I want to give a little plug uh, on behalf of uh, Jules and Gear Slets. You know, he's got a, um, and and I don't mean to to keep the moms out of this deal, but uh, Jules has a website called mydaddycool.com. And it's it's basically, it's an online forum community. It's like for fathers to share tips on parenting and experiences as dads. It's, and uh, on the website, it says, it's also meant as a hangout area. Call it a man cave if you like, but. So, you know, par- guys, uh, you know, parents or, you know, mostly dads really in this case, you know, check out mydaddycool.com and, and see this other thing that Jules is doing. It's cool what he's doing there. And I think that uh, some some folks might enjoy that. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that. I'd have to check that out. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other questions. Obviously, you know, you're trying to mix up the questions from guest to guest, a lot of the same questions come out because you're trying to figure out, well, how does this person deal with this? Mm-hmm. You seem like a, a gear, you're kind of a gear obsessed fellow. Yeah. You, yeah. If you ask my wife, she would uh, tell you a lot about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So how do you keep the balance there on the gear, man? How do you, um, do you have a philosophy about the gear you buy, about the money you spend, about your, whether or not you go into debt on that gear? Mm, well, I, I was I did a lot of my gear purchases before I had had my daughter, and so I've been able to kind of sell and trade and and kind of work my way up mm-hmm. that way. Uh, it's funny there there was actually uh, I think there was a TV show or something about Craigslist or being able to trade up. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard about that where I, someone I had like a that. pencil and then they ended up with a Ferrari. So there was a time where I was really active on Craigslist and I was able to kind of find something that I didn't want, but somebody else definitely wanted and they would either pay for it or trade it for something that I wanted, you know? So I was able to kind of do that. And I've done a lot of stuff where I'll buy um, 
old console parts like you know mic preamp cards like API 312 or Milcore, and I've gotten them converted to 500 series or racked them up, and so I do cool things like that, and I just find find way to ways to do things where other people pay for it. Like I do a lot, like at Steve's, you know, I, I do all the gear shopping. So that's, that's where I get to kind of, uh, <laughs> my, take care of my fix. <laughs> yeah. You just like the act of it. It's right. You like, like the shopping experience. Well, and like I said, I do a lot of studio consulting, so I get to kind of live out a lot of my fantasies that I necessarily can't afford through other people. Uh huh. You know, I'm telling you, man, there's a business opportunity out there. I certainly can't do it, but somebody should do. And I said it before on the show, the Netflix of pro audio gear where you pay like, I don't know. You know, most say say a lot of a lot of engineers are in debt for gear. Maybe they're paying a monthly thing. Well, why don't you pay fifty to a hundred dollars a month and be able to check out one or two pieces of gear, and you can always send it back. And I don't know if that would work for people, but yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, it it is a gear industry. It's it's definitely uh, people want to own their own equipment now. You know, people are very into like their lunchbox racks and it's like trading cards and you know and that that's why i think all these videos that everybody's doing is cool because everybody shares ideas or i mean people constantly will hit me up on instagram and ask me about something and they'll post later like hey i bought this because you you know you were giving me advice so i think i think there's uh, a lot of opportunity in the gear it, it can be a catch-22 i think you, you can overbuy and get yourself into trouble. But if you buy responsibly, man, it, it definitely can be fun. Definitely can be a lot of fun. Um, and as far as, you know, do you buy used a lot or do you buy new? Uh, it depends. I mean, I like vintage gear, so I, I try to get a lot of vintage stuff. But, you know, there's companies that, that uh, make great gear these days. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, new new is good you know like bae and inward connections oh yeah um so yeah it just it really depends i mean i i'm not like as knowledgeable with electronics to where i can build my own piece of gear but i know enough to understand how to tell if a piece of gear is you know of a certain quality mm -hmm. and and i definitely you know there's a lot of like copies of this certain kind of compressor or a certain kind of mic pre you know that that's where i think people make bad decisions and purchases because a lot of times they'll think that either a name or a price dictates quality and sometimes you know if you do your research right you'll find that the the better piece is actually a little cheaper or it's just a different brand yeah that's it you give me a perfect transition into my next question was you know, there's, I'm not going to name any particular brands, but there's certainly some brands out there that I feel make great stuff. And other people, by name alone, stigmatize it as, oh, that's garbage because it's a particular name. But, you know, maybe they had a bad experience with one particular piece of gear, but that company, you know, maybe early on in the company's career, but there's a lot of companies out there making some fantastic stuff at affordable prices. Yeah, it's it's interesting how you worded it that way because my situation, I would word it. There's particular companies that are great names that I think are not making great gear. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, obviously, we won't say names. But I think that's part of it. Is you know, you got to train your ear. It, you know, it's like somebody will ask, like, "Oh, what's the best mic pre?" Well, what do you want to use it for? 
Mm-hmm. What are you looking to do with it? You know, what's your budget? And um, because, you know, you could get one type of mic pre and that's great for, you know, a vocal or a guitar, but maybe it's not cool for drums, you know? Maybe the transformers are a little too soft or, you know, they, they roll, you know, they'll compress the transients a little too much. So I don't know. But I think people, that's what people need to learn is like, you know, don't, don't go with all the hype of like name brands and stuff. Do research. And one thing that I'm fortunate is being in LA, it's, it's a little easier for me to test a piece of gear before I buy it or compare, have a bunch of them sent out and compare them. Because that's, you know, that's something that um, Steve and I do a lot is we compare things, you know, especially before we make a big purchase. And I think that educates you as well. You train your ear. What are you listening for? You know, what does this particular thing do? And then you can kind of make a good decision that Mm. way. And I think if people can do that, they'll, they'll make better purchases for themselves. It's a challenge, I think, for the new, new newbie coming up, you know, there's, a lot of marketing power that goes into a product and a lot of, um, you know, you can be enamored just by the look of a piece of gear, uh, can look a particular way and it, you think, oh, that's going to be this for me because of how it looks. And Mark Rubel, who was, who was on several episodes ago, he, his philosophy was buy capability. Because I said, what, you know, what do you what do you look for in gear? And he says, I look for capability. I ask myself, what can I not do right now with what I've got, mm-hmm. and what do I? What is it that I want to be able to do? And what piece of gear will give me that capability at the price that I want? Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly it. You you really have to be in your head and and understand what what your weakest link is in what you have, and that should be your next purchase. You know, if you want to do something better, or if you or if you need more tracks, well, you need some more mic pre's. Maybe you shouldn't get that compressor or something because you don't need it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and obviously the demands of the studio owner running a commercial studio versus the demands of a freelance engineer are different because in studio ownership situations where other engineers are coming in, sometimes we're going for the the we're buying pieces to attract other engineers. Whereas, yeah, you know, you know, we're doing, we're making decisions in a different way, I think, as studio owners than we would as, you know, the freelancer is like looking to fill a, a gap or to have something portable that they can take and always have with them a reliable thing. No, you're, you're exactly, you pinpointed that because I, I was actually talking with a guy a few months ago who he was telling me, um, he was putting together this studio with some financers and they were doing this thing and it was going to be commercial. And we we're talking about consoles. And I was like, well, why are you going to buy that console? Why don't you buy this other one? And he's like, well, and he ex- put it in that way where he's like, well, I, you know, it need, it needs to have a certain name brand to attract clients. And it hit me because I was like, wow, I never have to really think about that in my position. So there's a, you know, there's certain situations like that where you really have to, um, plan it out in a way so that you can attract business and you know it's definitely uh tricky yeah so there's definitely a lot of uh variables with gear purchasing and stuff like that and that's why i i actually enjoy helping people out and i think that's part of what my channel is going to be as well is like to help people um you know and for the people that don't get to the luxury of being able to compare a bunch of pieces maybe i'll i'll do that Maybe I'll give some examples of that. 
Yeah, that that might be really useful, actually. You know, like to it could be beneficial not only to us as engineers, but it could be beneficial to manufacturers. Um, if you have a channel where it's like unbiased, where it's like, okay, here's this mic on this particular snare drum, and here's this other mic that's a competitor. You make up your mind, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's the idea because I know ne- I never want. I don't want to be. I feel. I don't want to be the kind of guy who's very opinionated, you know, where, oh, you're using that mic on that or, I, you know, it, it, it's all creativity. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I, I read that Jeff Emmerich book years ago and I re- probably read it 10 times. And that was the beginning of it where he was like just trying new things, working on the Beatles recordings. And to me, that was so inspirational and it resonates with me today because I mean, that's how you get creative and come up with new sounds. So I'm always open to try something, you know, I'm never going to criticize, Oh, that's, that's not how you do that. Well, let's hear it. You know, if somebody's adamant to try something, uh-huh. try it. Well, we're, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to ask you, how do you learn now? Like where do you go for inspiration and new ideas or just to absorb new information? There's, there's so many places. I mean, you know, I, I listen to, you know, I listen to your podcast. I've, I've heard a couple of them and Warren's channel and just research online, you know, and talk to people. I learn by talking to manufacturers, other engineers, just, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. The, the, I, I seek it if, if, if I'm looking for a particular answer or a particular something, I just I find a way to get that information. Very cool. Well, this this has been fantastic, Greg. I really appreciate your time that you've taken here. And uh, I, as usual, with all the interviews I do, the uh, I think the listeners will really love to hear what you have to say. And uh, fascinating your world that you that you have there. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure's all mine, man. Yeah, definitely. So, well, cool, man. You take care, and uh, that's that. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. There you have it, Mr. Greg Worth on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Uh, man, I could talk to you all day, but of course, we all got to get to work and we got to get some get some uh, stuff done. So uh, whether it's uh, making movies or records or video games or sound design, whatever it, whatever it is you're doing, let's get it done. Let's get to it. We're out of time. So just want to make sure you do know that our music is provided by Cliff Truesdale. Our voiceover intro is Chuck Smith. And our... Uh, Social media and additional audio support is provided by Cole Williams. And, of course, want to thank our good friends over at GearSluts for their help and sponsorship and want to welcome aboard our new sponsors, Audio-Technica. Welcome aboard. And uh, thank you for listening. Appreciate the time that you've taken today. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called audio life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com. Check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.